President John F. Kennedy's goal of putting a man on the moon by the end of the 1960s launched the space program and our imaginations. Everyone seemed caught up in the hope and the reality of human beings one day being transported through space to walk on the surface of the moon. The admiration, though, began to wane. And the charm of that whole idea began to leak. Such was the case near the end of NASA's Apollo program. Jack Needleman was one of the reporters who was covering the launch of Apollo 17 in December of 1972. It was a night launch. Jack joined the other reporters who made it a social occasion. They strolled the lawn of the press section at the Kennedy Space Center where refreshments were laid out on picnic tables and all was business as usual. But then the countdown began and all eyes and cameras turned toward the 36-story high Atlas rocket and even cynical reporters were overcome. As Needleman told the story in Bill Moyer's book, A World of Ideas, the reporters were suddenly all but blinded by an extraordinary orange light, which was just at the limit of what a person could bear to look at. And then the rocket rose slowly against the dark canopy of night in total silence because it took a few seconds for the sound to cross the distance. And when the sound waves finally struck, they washed over the reporters with a thunder that rattled their bones. Needleman said you could practically hear jaws dropping. The rocket traveled higher, then higher still as the first stage ignited in a spectacular blue flame. It seemed to have become a, as a star as it carried three men bound for the heavens. And then it was gone, vanished into the edge of the atmosphere and on into the depths of space. Jack Needleman said silence followed among the press corps. The wisecracks died out. People's eyes were filled with light. Their mouths were wide open, their faces lit by the inner glow of sheer wonder. The whole demeanor of these hardened newspaper reporters was changed. They got up quietly, offering to help one another. They were kind, they were reverent. When they did speak, it was in muted tones, as though fearful of spoiling the moment. You see, wonder had done its work. As we draw near to Christmas, it seems to me that that is exactly the experience that we are in danger of missing. In our day, when technological advances have explained huge mysteries and scientists are peering into our DNA and movie makers can render on screen spectacles of such magnitude that it boggles the mind, I fear that we are in danger of losing something. That something so powerful, something so needed, something that can awaken our souls. And it is wonder that is endangered in our day. A sense of wonder comes when our expectations are exceeded. Wonder is being astonished at the fantastic, jolted by the splendor. It is the byproduct of being in the presence of something that takes our breath away. But there's also an element of the will involved. You and I can choose to be dull in the presence of glory, to yawn when we should be exalting, to cross our arms when we should be applauding. 
in our been there, done that, got the t-shirt culture that we live in, it becomes cool to be anti-thrilled at something spectacular. But there's something wrong with our hearts when something great only brings a passing interest. A century ago, G.K. Chesterton wrote, the world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. This morning, the Holy Spirit is trying to break in on us, reigniting the surprise of Christmas. And I invite you to consider that first Christmas and the wonder of Jesus' birth again today. The sense of awe that touched Elizabeth and Mary. You know, angelic uh, appearances to this very old woman and to this teenage virgin were shocking enough. But consider what they said. God had made the impossible possible. They would each give birth to miracle sons who would be connected together in a movement that would sweep the globe and change the lives of people forever. Can you see Elizabeth and Mary just embracing and weeping with joy in that moment? At the same time, holy fear gripped Joseph. Consider the huge reversals for Joseph, who got the news of the pregnancy and believed what any of us would have believed until the angel cleared it all up for him. He can't sleep now the rest of the night waiting for the dawn and a chance to find Mary and tell her uh, that it was okay between them. Mary, Mary, you better sit down. There's something I've got to tell you. And Mary would reply, Joseph, I'm so glad you've come. There's something I need to tell you as well. And they would each tell their angel stories. Joseph spills out uh, his, the angel's message that Mary's pregnancy is the work of God himself and that the child will be a boy and he's to be named Jesus, which means Yahweh will save because he will save his people from their sins. And Mary breaks in and she says, that's the name the angel told me as well. And she would tell of Elizabeth's pregnancy and that the identity of this baby boy was the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. And their laughter begins to replace the fear. And shouts would ring out as they dance and pray and cry and, and, and speak of their future together. Because you see, wonder took hold. Things that simply cannot be are now becoming reality. Notice the marvelous intersection of eternity and time that surrounded Jesus' birth. In nine months, the birthday of this baby will come. But how will this birth occur? I imagine Mary and Joseph thought about this a hundred times. The Bible says that it was a normal birth like all others. But the child himself was unique in mind-blowing ways. The one who spoke light into existence at creation will see with human eyes for the very first time. The one who sits on the circle of the earth will be completely dependent on a human mother, Mary, for his survival. And she will lay him in a feeding trough at the back of an inn, surprised once more by the God who had superintendency over all of creation, every detail of Christ's coming, but chose a humble beginning. And then there were the shepherds. 
they had had their, they had their lives changed by a song, which is unique among the songs that we're studying in Luke's gospel, the first two chapters, in that it has a backup choir in this song. It is recorded for us in Luke 2, beginning in verse 8, and it's called the Angel's Gloria. And the song is a marvelous example of wonder. Listen to its words. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. And it was just as the angel had told them. Step into the fields outside of Bethlehem for a moment and join these shepherds who will once again be greeted with joy and surprise. It strikes me here, and, and what humbles me and stirs my soul is that God, the God of all there is, God who is surrounded with angels all day long who are declaring his glory, God to whom messengers attend and move with strength and speed at his will, this same God comes to a group of nobodies on a planet called Earth. Let me fill you in on the back story. You see, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that time, said that there were six professions that were unworthy. And one of those was shepherding. A shepherd was not permitted to give testimony in a court of law. A shepherd was not allowed to enter the synagogue because the requirement of his job kept him ritually unclean. There was at least one occasion in Israel's history when shepherding was assigned as a punishment for sin. Pe people simply had no dealings with shepherds. They were known for being kind of crafty, sometimes robbing people and doing whatever they had to do to survive. But God chose them. When he chose to reveal the greatest news anyone would ever hear, when he, he goes to the least and to the last, the social and spiritual outcasts of his day, the despised, the distrusted shepherds. God's coming to shepherds with this word would be much like us picking up the newspaper tomorrow morning and finding a story about a group of hoodlums who were you know, counting their stolen loot from picking pockets at the Meridian Mall today. Somehow getting a visit from the angel who says, look, I proclaim to you the great news of, good, uh, of great joy, the good news of great joy. 
Today a Savior is born for you. You know, these were shepherds. They were the outcasts. They were the lowest of the low. The shepherds, of course, did not grasp all that they were hearing, but they were the first to know it. And this is wonderful news because at the center of the gospel is the truth that the knowledge of God is not strictly an intellectual experience. It's not something that's given only to the elite, to the powerful, to the educated, or to the deserving. It is to some shepherds, to the ungood, to the people in flyover country of that day. I always, you know, enjoy reading uh, letters that children write to Santa Claus. And so I know sometimes you, you may have picked up some of those across the years. They've been all over the internet and, and in books, but I, I'm always stunned by um, the simpleness of children. And one little guy wrote, Dear Santa, you know, uh, you did not bring me anything good last year. You did not bring me anything good the year before that. This is your last chance. <laughs> Signed, Alfred. But I think this is one of my favorites. Dear Santa, uh, there are three little boys who live at our house. There's Jeffrey, he's two. There's David, he is four. And there's Norman, he is seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. And Norman is good all of the time. I am Norman. <laughs> but here's the, here's the deal. We're not all Normans, are we? Sometimes we're shepherds. 2,000 years ago, God delivered a highly sensitive, vitally important piece of news to some not-so-good shepherds. And he still does that today. Think about the first time that God came for you. Be stunned again with the remarkable truth that God searched you out with the good news of Jesus Christ. He didn't give up on you when you were indulging in sin or resistant to his kind invitation or too busy and worldly to care for him or his son. He simply loved you enough to one day awaken in you the irresistible music of the good news of great joy in order to redeem your soul. And for some of us, once we heard that song, our heart recognized it, and we believed. Now, I know it's possible that you're hearing these words I'm saying today, but you remain unmoved by what these words describe. So let me close by telling you how I think that we can recover the wonder this Christmas season. First, wonder begins in the presence of God. Verse 16 tells us that the shepherds dropped everything and they ran to Bethlehem. They raced through the streets. They ducked into every stable and every building they could find to search. They were searching for newborns. And finally, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a feeding trough. And they were in the very presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They had seen the brilliant light in the heaven. They had heard the sounds and confirmed the signs and with the thunder of an angel chorus replaced by the cooing now of a nursing infant. Wonder crowded out every other emotion in them. Hear me this morning. Allow yourself to get close to the presence of God. It's not hard because God is here. 
that you have been ignoring him or even missed him doesn't change the truth that he is here. Let the fact that he comes near to the likes of us penetrate your defenses today. And I invite you to open your heart and your mind to Jesus. Secondly, wonder becomes contagious. When something is wonderful, we don't just keep it to ourselves. We want to share it. When the doctor says some good news, like there's no, there's no more cancer. When your daughter and son-in-law are expecting that first baby, what do you do? We spread the joy, don't we? We share the news. To keep quiet about it would just be wrong because wonder is contagious. Verse 17 tells us that's what happened with the shepherds. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child and all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Maybe one of the reasons that we share our faith so infrequently about what Christ has done in our own life is that we don't think often enough about what God has done for us. Because once we let that truth sink in, once we drop our guard and are overwhelmed by the glory of it all, it will flow from us like a fountain of joy and wonder in Christ spreads. But here's the third point. Wonder gives birth to worship. The shepherds saw, they heard, they felt God, but what did they do? The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. You see, when shepherds begin to act like spiritual people, alive to God, joyous in him, something big has happened. Wonder became worship. Discovery created delight. Truth vibrated in their bones. Those first shepherds believed in Christ and the core of their life was altered forever. That first Christmas day was a day that changed everything. In the book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Dan Millman tells the story of Sachi. When she was four years old, her baby brother was born. Little Sachi began to ask her parents to leave her alone with the new baby, and they worried about that, like most four-year-olds. She might be, feel jealous, she might want to shake him or hit him, so they said no. Over time, though, since Sachi wasn't showing any signs of jealousy, they changed their mind and they decided to let Sachi have her private conference with the baby. Elated, Sachi went into the baby's room and shut the door, but it bounced open a crack enough for her curious parents to peek in and listen. And they saw little Sachi quietly walk up to her baby brother and put her face close to his and say, Baby, tell me what God feels like. I'm starting to forget. Christmas should be that kind of time when we snuggle up close to God to see, to feel, and to hear his heart again. It's a time when things that cannot be are. Does your wonder, your sense of wonder, need reawakening today? Do you need to see Christmas again for the first time or through the eyes of a child? I invite you to open your eyes and see the light. Open your heart and feel the emotions. Open your mind and understand the meaning. Open your ears and hear the song of the angels. Because there is a song in the air. 
and there's a baby in a feed box, and everything is gloriously topsy-turvy as God breaks into this world and into your life and to mine. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. We worship you today for your loving and gracious salvation and pray that you help us to remember to always worship you and to tell others about your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for reorienting our life, for coming and seeking us out. So help us again today to be reawakened to a sense of wonder. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.